Hello and welcome to another edition of What Sports. This is going to be a Nuggets special today. Gotta talk Nuggets, of course. They start their next chapter in the 2020 playoffs in the Western Conference Finals tonight up against the Los Angeles Lakers. And let's just take a quick look back on what got us here. We fell down 3-1 to one against the Utah Jazz. The narrative was that the Denver Nuggets cannot play defense. They should go all in on trying to trade for a Ben Simmons or something. Because you can't win with Jokic. You heard all of that sort of nonsense coming out. And then the tables turn. Nuggets come back. Win that series, coming only the 13th team all time to come back from a 3-1 deficit to win the series in the playoffs. Next round, completely different beast. Going up against the Los Angeles Clippers. Similar story, though. Fall down 3-1 in that series. And everybody who's anybody wrote the Nuggets off even easier than they did against the Jazz because... Literally nobody picked the Nuggets to win this series against the Los Angeles Clippers. Nobody. And they fall down 3-1 in the series. Seems as good as done. And I gotta admit, even myself, I didn't think against a team as good as the Clippers are that the Nuggets had much of a chance coming back from a 3-1 deficit. Let's be honest. But they won game five. Then they won game six. And I said before game six, if they can win this game, they will win game seven. And what did they do? They came out in game seven and not just won, but won handedly. We went up against a championship favorite team, the Los Angeles Clippers, in a do-or-die situation, Game 7. And, again, once again, Clippers had the lead in this game, had the lead in, in the third quarter, but could not close out this Denver Nuggets squad, who ended up coming back and winning 104-89. to Only allowed 89 points against a top five offense in the entire NBA all regular season long gave up 89 points to win this game by 15, a handed win. And a, a win a, a was really a state statement win. First team in NBA history to come back from three, one deficits in the same playoffs. First team in NBA history. Like, you're talking about only 13 teams ever, including the Nuggets, ever came back from 3-1 deficits, period. And they did it twice in one season now. That is just incredible. And you look at how they did it. Jokic, pretty much the entire series, was the vocal point of this offense. What made this team tick? And he still he still was. He had a triple-double in the third quarter. Ended up with uh, 16 points, 22 rebounds, and 13 assists. But who dropped the buckets was Jamal Murray. A statement game for him. Going up against a all-defense type of team. You're talking about three of the most difficult matchups that... He individually could be going up against Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is kind of, he's not really on the same level as those first two dudes, but he brings his own unique style when it's time about defending somebody. And in the past could have been a good matchup for Jamal Murray, but Jamal Murray has announced himself to the NBA. Dropping 40 points in the Clippers in the biggest possible setting you could do up to this point in the playoffs. A Game 7 in the conference semifinals. He goes out there and drops 
40 points. It, it was incredible. And really, teams across the league need to take notice of this. It's not just Jokic anymore. It, it's not, well, we need to just worry about Jokic and count on the rest of the pieces not being able to pick up the slack. Murray can take over a game on his own now, and he's proven that through two series. And he's put himself into being a top 20 player in the NBA, at least, at the very least, in the conversation of being a top 20 NBA player with this. I said that after the um, Utah series, that if he was able to have a similar series against the Clippers, when you're going not not averaging the ridiculous numbers that he did, not putting up, you know, 140 points in a three-game stretch. But being able to be a consistent threat offensively and have a game where you can drop 40 points, that is a statement on the consistency and the explosiveness of Jamal Murray. And he accomplished that against the Clippers in this series. Another player I want to talk about specifically is Gary Harris. Uh, he came back for the last two games of the Utah series, and I firmly believe that if he did not come back, they could have very well not won that series and not even advanced to play against the Clippers. He is playing like Gary Harris of a couple years ago, and that is huge for the Denver Nuggets. He is averaging right now 10.7 points per game. Good for third on the team, uh, followed closely by Michael Porter Jr. But even more important than the actual numbers he's putting up as far as points go is his shooting percentage. He, in the series against the Clippers, shot 419 from beyond the arc. 500, he was 50% from the field. And that is huge because you're not asking for Gary Harris to play a game like Jamal Murray where he, you know, takes people off the dribble, where he creates for himself, where you're asking for him to drop 20-plus points on a nightly basis. But when you can count on him to hit that wide-open shot, to hit that kick out, you know, that they have to worry about covering him where they can't just leave him to double Jokic consistently down in the block without at least taking a double take on it. That is huge because you know what you're going to get from Gary Harris defensively. And that's tenacity. That's grit. And that's just better effort than you get from basically anybody else on the Nuggets when it comes to the defensive side of things. Uh, interesting stat for uh, Gary Harris, though. Since he has returned to the lineup, the Nuggets have only averaged uh, 100.8 points per game against them. So just about 100 points a game against them since Gary Harris has returned. That is a fabulous Mark, when you're talking about defensive efficiency, and even though he does not, he's only one guy out there on the court, the leadership defensively that he provides and how much better the rotations look defensively with him out there on the court make a huge difference uh, from top to bottom, really. And you see that come through when you're talking about the points per game allowed since Gary Harris has returned to the lineup. Jokic obviously buoyed by that 22 rebound performance in Game 7. Um, averaged 13.4 total rebounds in this series. Obviously, you go up against the Lakers, you're not necessarily going to dominate the glass as much as you're going against a much bigger team. But you look at points per game. In this series, Nikola Jokic averaged 24.4 and Jamal Murray averaged 22.6. In games in these playoffs in which both Jokic and Murray score 20 points, the Nuggets are 6-1. and one. 
That seems like it might be somewhat of an obvious step, but it's really kind of key when you're talking about having two players who are both threats, legitimate threats that defenses need to adapt to and make adjustments to try to stop. If only Jokic or only Murray is really going off and is a threat on the court to put up points, it's a lot easier for a defense, especially a team that's going to be as talented as the Lakers, to adjust accordingly and shut down the Nuggets on offense. And that's not even talking about role players being able to hit the kickouts, which is a big part of where the success comes offensively, especially for this Nuggets squad. So if you can have both Jokic and Murray in rhythm offensively, where they're dropping 20-plus points in a game, it just creates so much more dynamic feel to this offense that defense is going to have a lot harder time adjusting to and a lot harder time trying to contain. Looking at a couple of the advanced stats, um, Gary Harris actually had the best true shooting percentage on the team at 657. Just another bit of information you look at and you go, maybe Gary is truly the third horse on this team right now. And I, I've made the argument that he is, out, outside of obviously Jokic and Murray, the most important piece in the run that the Nuggets have been making. His importance in this next series might be mitigated somewhat because there's not going to be as good of a matchup for him to try to cover. But let's be honest, there wasn't necessarily a great matchup for him to try to shut down in this series uh, against the Clippers because he was at a size disadvantage when you try to match him up against uh, Kawhi or Paul George, even though he was matched up against Paul George a lot in that series and did a really good job about it. Talking about defensive matchups, though, want to slide over to Jeremy Grant. In the series against the Clippers, was not great for him offensively. He only shot 257 from beyond the arc and 345 uh, from the field. Not great percentages there, but I'm I'm not upset about those numbers for one reason. Grant got a huge responsibility put on his shoulders on the defensive end of the court. Guarding Kawhi Leonard, he he a lot of the time he was the primary defender on Kawhi. You look at the national perspective, and a lot of people are talking about, oh, you know, Kawhi, he's not as good as we thought he was. Uh, we were trying to crown Kawhi too early. He disappeared in a big game. He's not as clutch as LeBron. But how quickly do you forget how Kawhi performed on the Toronto Raptors last year? How clutch he came up for the Toronto Raptors just last postseason on their run to win a championship. The difference is Jeremy Grant guarded him as well as I think I've seen anybody be able to guard Kawhi. Kawhi is a dynamic player on the offensive end of the court. I mean, and obviously he is amazing on the defensive end as well. But... To have somebody you can match up on him, and Kawhi still got his points. He, he still got his, but he did not dominate the game to the degree that he could have. I, I know that's kind of splitting hairs there of, you know, uh, Kawhi still averaged 24.3 points a game, but when he could be averaging... 28 points a game in that series when he could have been averaging maybe even 30 points a game in that series if it wasn't for the work that Grant did on him on the defensive end of the court. So yes, his shooting numbers were down. His percentages were down. But I'm not upset with that because 
in that series, his primary job was not to put up buckets. His primary job was not to be scoring, you know, 20 points in a night. His job was to shut down Kawhi to the best of his capabilities, and he did it. He, he was He's an unsung hero to me in that series because of the work he did on Kawhi. Paul George was guarded a lot by Gary Harris, and there was, I think there's more of a valid argument to a choke job by Paul George than Kawhi, but you still can't underappreciate the work that Gary does uh, just harassing. Came up with a few timely steals in this series that were really momentum shifters uh, throughout this series. So Gary Harris, hugely important still, but I think Jeremy Grant had made a strong case for being the defensive MVP in the series against the Los Angeles Clippers. Michael Porter Jr. I want to talk about him real quick. It is remarkable to see the growth that he had and throughout these playoffs. 14 games, a relatively small sample size. And yet you go from him being such a liability early on in that series against the Utah Jazz, where we could not put him on the court down the stretch because he could not play defense, because he was verging on an automatic bucket for the Jazz if he was on the court, to where he was playing those clutch minutes, where he was closing out games against a team that was just better. I mean, the Clippers, objectively, are just a better team than the Utah Jazz, and yet MPJ developed enough on and learned enough, adapted enough on the defensive side of things where Coach Mike Malone was okay leaving him in the game. Now, his his offensive numbers are not near what I would expect MPJ, and next year, I mean, obviously we're not done with this postseason run, but next postseason run, I would expect him to be a lot more consistent offensively because he'll be better worked into this offense, he'll be more adapted and have a better idea of what to expect coming into the playoffs in general. But just the fact that he can be on the court down the stretch and not just be handing points to the other team is a huge step. And he hits some key baskets. He is still really good at the pull-up three. Um, so Mike Ward Jr. developing still as an offense, uh, as a player in a whole on this Nuggets team. And the experience that he's getting right now is just going to pay dividends, in my opinion, going forward. I, I love seeing him getting minutes right now, whether or not he's hurting us at times, just for that experience. Because this is, this is just the beginning of, of a window, in my opinion, for the Nuggets to be winning championships. Yes, championships. Plural. I, I think that there is more to this... There is more in store for this team than just this run, obviously. And which brings me to the last name I kind of want to talk about real quick. Uh, and it's not because necessarily of anything that he did in this series. He only played four minutes. But that's Bol Bol. I made an argument on uh, on Twitter that I would like to see Bobo get some more playing time. And it's not necessarily because I think that he would light it up in a game. It's not necessarily that I think he is ready. But even if it's just four or five minutes a game, okay, uh, take the minutes from Mason Plumlee, if you, if you must. But... Find some time to get Bol Bol into a game. Get him some experience, some playoff experience. Because he, if healthy, is going to be a huge part of this team going forward. He's going to be a dynamic part of this team. And part of the reason why they are a championship contender next season and the season after that and the season after that 
because he is so unique, especially offensively. So I'd like to see him get that experience that I would have liked to see MPJ get last year that I think would have helped him exponentially in his development and where he was as a player coming into the playoffs this year. Going up against the Lakers, obviously we're going into the Western Conference Finals, so I'm not sure if it's necess- if, if Malone would make that change now. In fact, I'm pretty confident he would not make that change now. But my counter-argument to that is we're going up against probably the biggest team in the entire NBA. Uh, you're going to be they're going to be rolling out Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee or Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. I mean, you're going to have two legit bigs on the court for most of the time against these Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. So it might be the opportunity that we see some more bowl bowl or some <laughs> bowl bowl action at the end of the rotation for the Nuggets. Uh, you also might see some more Mason Plumley, uh, Jokic, Twin Tower lineups put out there as well, just to try to counter and try to go up against just the height and the length that the Lakers are going to be bringing coming these Western Conference Finals. But alas, I, I doubt it. I don't think we'll see Bobol. I think it'd be great to see him and a great way to invest in your future, getting some playing time. But I don't think that's happening this year. This is just the opening of the window, like I said, though. This team can be competing for championships for years to come and potentially might be the next dynasty with, with you're looking at how young these players are. Jokic is only 24 years old and he's dominating playoff series right now. Jamal Murray, 22, and he's been a dominant force in these playoff series as well. Gary Harris, 25. Michael Porter Jr. and the trajectory that he's on, he's only 21. And then, of course, Bull Bull that I talked about that I think will be a big part of this team going forward, he's only 20. So you're talking about potentially a starting five there. That next season, Gary Harris would be the oldest player at 26. And Jeremy Grant, who could also be in that starting unit, most, most likely will be in that starting unit next year. If the Nuggets bring him back, he would only be 26 next season. So you're talking about players that are either just entering the prime of their career, prime of their life, or players that are still approaching their prime and were already a championship contending team this season. They're a surprise to most, honestly myself included, to be in the Western Conference Finals with the route that they took. Yet... If you're part of that Final Four, you are a championship contending team. You can't make it to a conference final and not be a championship contender. The next step will undoubtedly be the toughest step, though, taking on the Lakers. Uh, Looking back at what we did against the Lakers this season, it was not necessarily pretty But I'll remind you, it was not pretty against the Clippers either. Uh, The first game against the Lakers lost 105-96. to Anthony Davis and LeBron James both dropped 25 points in that game. And Jokic only dropped 13. Leading scorer was Murray at 22. Uh, Even though Jokic only put up 13, I will bring up his numbers because that will probably... Especially nationally, it's the matchup that's getting the most publicity and getting the most talk is the Anthony Davis-Jokic matchup. And I'll talk about those numbers a little bit here. I'll warn you, they're not necessarily all that pretty. Uh, Game two against the Lakers was a win for the Nuggets. 
but I will have to say that there's an asterisk next to it merely for the fact that LeBron James did not play in that game. Nuggets won 128-104. Anthony Davis, though, dropped 32 points and had 11 rebounds for the Nuggets. The leading scorer was Paul Millsap with 21. I'm going to be honest with you. If Paul Millsap is our leading scorer in any game in this series, I, I don't feel good about our chances in that game. Uh, point blank, Paul Millsap should not be the leading scorer on this Nuggets team. Uh, Jokic only put up 18 points, and Murray was a quiet six. Game three was an overtime loss to the Lakers, 120 to 116. Anthony Davis dropped 33, and LeBron James dropped 32 in this game. On our side, Murray went off for 32 points, and Jokic dropped 22. And then the last game in the regular season was actually a bubble game against the Lakers, in which we rolled out a starting lineup of Murray, Craig, Millsap, MPJ, and Jokic, and Bobol played 21 minutes. We lost 121 to 124. Jokic put up 12 points and Murray put up 14. I'll also point out that Jokic played 26 minutes and Murray 25. So it was not necessarily a game in which either team was putting forth their best efforts necessarily to win. It was more about getting out of this game healthy and which I, I felt like I'll, I'll address this real quick a lot was made of the Nuggets not necessarily trying to win games in the seeding round especially late in the second half of the seeding round and a lot a lot of people made it into the Nuggets were trying to pick their matchup which they legitimately did I feel like last season this year, I don't think that's necessarily what, what what was going on. I believe the Nuggets just truly didn't care who they were playing. This was a playoffs that was going to be completely unique and has been unique because there's really no home court advantage. They put the fans up on the screens and whatnot, but that's that's not the same thing. You're not having thousands of fans scream at you when you're trying to make a free throw in crunch time. You're not trying to make a play call coming down and set up your half-court offense when you can't even hear somebody three feet away from you. So there's no home-court advantage. And I think not just the Nuggets, but I think all the teams really realize that. And in realizing that, dawned on them, hey, the most important thing is to get into the playoffs healthy. Who you're playing match match up with in that first round matters somewhat, but I honestly think the Nuggets didn't care. I, I honestly think since there was no way they were going to match up against you know the Lakers or the Clippers in the first round, they felt good about whatever other team they played in that first round. I honestly think they did not care about seeding when it came down the stretch in the in the bubble games. I do not think they cared about seeding. So yes, they did not put forth their best effort or the put forth the minutes with their best players to try to win this game. But that didn't that didn't matter in the end. And it clearly played out that way because the Nuggets are now in the Western Conference Finals. For the Lakers, though, in this game, uh, they actually put forth a lot better effort. Uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James both logged 38 minutes apiece, putting up 29 points LeBron James, 27 points Anthony Davis. And actually, Kyle Kuzma dropped 25 in this game as well. So it's really interesting, to me at least, 
that in the most recent matchup between the Nuggets and the Lakers, the Nuggets lose by three points. And they're playing their two big guns 38 minutes in that game. Where the Nuggets are playing their two big guns 26 and 25 minutes. A big discrepancy there. Almost almost a full quarter, well actually, legitly, a full quarter's worth of playing time difference between Jokic and Murray and LeBron and AD. So that, that is that's something that should not be overlooked in the fact that the Nuggets can hang with this team. And you're starting to see people, especially nationally, realize that a little more, that the Nuggets aren't as far away from these, you know, title favorite teams as you may think if you're not somebody who watches the Nuggets on a regular basis. Because, to be fair, a lot of these basketball fans don't get exposed to Nuggets until the playoffs. I have a little less sympathy for the national pundits that are supposed to be covering the NBA who put no respect on this team. I think that's a little ridiculous. And clearly Jamal Murray felt that that was a little ridiculous as well, calling out several of them by name, Lowe, Barkley, Stephen A. Smith. But you know what? He's laying game talk and... It is talking loudly. Specific matchups, though. Anthony Davis versus Nikola Jokic. It's not great. Uh, They've matched up 13 times in all. Team-wise, Jokic has won 7 out of those 13 matchups. But, um, let's be honest, Anthony Davis, when he was on the Pelicans, he did not really have much of a supporting staff around him down there. But let's let's slide on over to the points where it's really evident the discrepancy here. Because Jokic is only averaging 14 points per game against Anthony Davis. Now, they're not always matched up head-to-head because Anthony Davis likes to fancy himself a 4 and not a 5, which I I think that's fine for him. But he doesn't always draw Jokic on the other side to defend because a lot of times he's paired up with a big that does not move as well as Anthony Davis. Because if you slide AD over to cover Jokic primarily and you're on the court with, say, Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee, they then need to slide over and cover MPJ or cover Jeremy Grant, in which the quickness and just the athleticism is going to be such a discrepancy there that you're really putting them at a disadvantage. So if if they're going with two bigs out there at a time, I don't know how much of that time is going to be spent with Anthony Davis directly matched up with Jokic. Also, total rebounds, Anthony Davis has the has the advantage, but it's only by half a rebound per game, which I also found interesting. I've talked about the numbers specifically for the Nuggets in that series against the Clippers. Uh... Looking at the Lakers series against the Rockets real quick. Obviously, LeBron and Anthony Davis led the team in points at uh, 25.8 for LeBron and 25.4 for Anthony Davis. And two other players averaging double digits in Kuzma and Rondo. Looking at this, well, one, it was a super beneficial matchup for the Lakers against the Rockets. Rockets went all in on this small ball lineup talked about in some of my previous episodes. They pushed all their chips in on that. Tallest player on the court the majority of the time for them in the playoffs was 6'8". And you're talking about a, a 
Lakers team that with their starting five, okay, LeBron James, 6'8", Anthony Davis, 6'10", Danny Green is 6'7", I believe, uh, KCP is a 6'7", and then you're talking about uh, Mar- Morris is like 6'8", and McGee is 7 foot. So you're talking about where the shortest guy on your on the court for you, at least in that starting unit, is six seven. Okay, your shortest guy is basically as big as their tallest guy. So that matchup was made for the Lakers to just dominate them, and which they did. I uh, James Harden still put up his points, but. He's not good enough to carry a team, and it was evident in that series. So I, I, there's not a whole lot of the numbers that I think is going to translate directly against the Nuggets for the Lakers because it's going to be such a different matchup. You had nothing even remotely comparing to Jokic in size or really skill set when you're talking about the Rockets. Uh, and you're going to have better size and players better equipped to defend the Lakers on the Nuggets than what the Rockets have. So, what I do want to point out here, though, is I find it interesting that LeBron James is actually under 30% from beyond the arc in that series, uh, shooting just uh, 29.4%. And that's not necessarily a huge dig on him because he affects the game in so many other facets. I mean, he was averaging 10 points and over 7 assists to go with 2 steals and damn near 2 blocks a game. So LeBron wasn't necessarily lining up from beyond the arc, but he was still making a huge impact in the game. And, of course, he's going to continue to do that pretty much no matter what the Nuggets do, because it's LeBron James. LeBron James is going to be LeBron James. So you have the big twos from each team, okay? LeBron, AD, Jokic, Murray. All in all, they match up relatively well. Points-wise, basically a wash as far as averages go from their last series. Assists-wise pretty much a wash when you talk about combined numbers between the two big the, the big twos from each team. Rebounds is going to favor the Lakers and I mean that's rightfully so. You're talking about two forwards that can pull down ten rebounds a game relatively easily. Whereas that's not necessarily a huge part of Murray's game, although he's been really good at it because he's putting forth that extra effort so far in this playoffs. But I want to talk about the third player on the list here for the Lakers, and that's Kyle Kuzma, third leading scorer at 11.2 points per game. And the reason I want to talk about him is it's kind of interesting the dynamic here is you're talking about the players that each team are hoping to be the number threes are these young players, these young, I mean, Kyle Kuzma's 24. He's not super young, but as far as talking about who you want to be stepping up and taking the next step, it's Kyle Kuzma for the Lakers. And obviously it's MPJ for Nuggets. And these are two guys that could be matched up on a regular basis throughout this series. And this is where I feel like the Nuggets, and not just this specific kind of head-to-head match, but in general, where the Nuggets can have the advantage and where they've, where they really had the advantage against the Clippers as well is in their depth and in their role players. Uh, specifically in this matchup, Kuzma, uh, 11.2 points, three rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.4 steals, and 0.6 blocks. Now, 
MPJ may not be scoring as much as at only 10.1 points per game, but he's averaging 6.9 rebounds a game. He is, even if he's not scoring, he's still affecting the game and he is on the court. And it's a lot like the argument I was making with Gary Harris earlier. Even though Gary Harris may not be dropping 20 points a night, he is affecting the game anytime he is on the court. And he is a positive influence on this team. Michael Porter Jr. crashing the glass, getting seven rebounds a game, impacts the game in a positive manner. And at some, I feel like, you know, especially going forward, some that he can do on a regular basis. If he's getting 30-plus minutes a game, he could be averaging a double-double as long as he's aggressive on the glass. Uh, he also averages 0.4 assists, you know, not big discrepancy there when you're trying to compare him with Kuzma, who's at 1.2, about one assist more. But where another thing is kind of interesting to me is he's also averaging 0.9 steals a game, just about one steal a game. And that comes down a lot to his length. Uh, he is incredibly long, and it also kind of shows his progression on that end of the court throughout these playoffs, that Michael Porter Jr. is no longer always the liability, no longer always the one that gets attacked on that end, uh, because he can do something. He, he can He's learning how to use his length to his advantage. Um, other role players, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, those are the two guys I expect to primarily get matched up against LeBron James. They're both good matches for him uh, as far as size goes. Uh, Jeremy Grant's a little smaller, but he makes up for it in just athleticism. And this could be the series that Paul Millsap really leaves his stamp on the Nuggets this postseason. Uh, he has the most experience against LeBron James. And he is probably, in my estimation, the best matchup for him. Especially when you're talking about physicality-wise. It's not been a great playoffs for Paul. But he has an opportunity here against the Lakers to really wash all that away and prove that he is not just along for the ride in the playoffs. I mean, he's he's had his moments, but for a huge part of these playoffs, he's been more on the negative side than on the plus side. And this is this is the matchup where Paul Millsap earns his keep, I think. Another name to talk about that we haven't talk about it all is Will Barton. There is a chance Will Barton can return for these playoffs. He was he left the bubble. He still hasn't returned to the bubble. But he there, there's been reports that have come out that imply that he could return for as early as game four in this series. Um I, I kind of doubt it, considering we still haven't heard anything about him returning to the bubble. Maybe the Nuggets are just really good about keeping this under wraps. I doubt it. But he's no longer a starter on this team, in my opinion. He was he proved a lot to me this season. Uh, and I think a huge part of that had to do with the fact that he wasn't asked as much to be the primary ball handler and play kind of that point guard position on the court. Uh, with the emergence of Monte Morris really uh, being able to play consistently and Jamal Murray really being able to play as more of a true type point guard out there. But where his importance could lie is on that second unit and being... The Jamal Murray, I guess, if you will, of that second unit. 
somebody who can kind of get their baskets and has kind of that attack mentality. You throw him out there alongside Michael Porter Jr., and you're talking about a duo that can put up some points that will not um, allow the offense, I'm, I would hope at least, would not allow this offense to go stagnant in minutes that Jokic is not out there or Murray is not out there. And I don't think it's happened in these playoffs and it shouldn't happen in these playoffs. But if for some reason Jokic gets into foul trouble early or whatever and Murray needs a rest and you're at a point where you don't have Murray or Jokic on the court, the offense still has something to go off of with uh, Will and MPJ out there. Barton returning, he's not going to be his same old self. He's not going to be Will the Thrill right off the bat. Um, it, it's a lot harder to find your rhythm, I feel like, right away when you're talking about your offensive game, which is the primary part of Barton's game. He definitely improved on the defensive end. But it's not a situation where Gary Harris comes back and he can make an impact straight away on the defensive end of the court because that is a lot more about effort and knowledge, the know-how, whereas offense can be a lot more about feel and rhythm. So getting him back would be nice. I don't necessarily, wouldn't expect him to make a huge impact in this series, though. Maybe I'd be wrong. Where he'd make a bigger impact, I feel like, would be is if the Nuggets were able to win this series and advance to the championship, that that would be where I'd feel like Barton could make a significant impact. But looking at the rotation, where do you take those minutes from? Uh, you got Jokic, you got Murray, you got Harris, you got MPJ. You got Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Monty Morris, and you got Mason Plumley. Those are those are eight right there. So I guess you you take Tory Craig out and just don't have any Tory Craig minutes if you're trying to put Barton in there. It's just hard to look at this and figure out where you're going to get Barton minutes from with how well this team has started to play together and the trust this team has built as a unit. All right, well, now it's time to get down to nitty-gritty. Game one is tonight at 8 p.m. on TNT. Really, the entire series is scheduled to be on TNT uh, every couple of days, and it looks like they're all scheduled to be late tip-offs, all 8 p.m. tip-offs, the primetime slot, really, when you're trying to get the West Coast to be able to see it and not be at work and everything as well. So, what do I think this series comes down to? I think this series goes seven. Uh, I, I do. And with as well and how clutch this team has played... I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say Nuggets in seven. Nuggets are going to the NBA championship. Yes. Yes. That's that's what I'm going with. That's what I'm saying. There is no home court advantage. There is no going to the Staples Center and having all these bandwagon Laker fans yelling at you. There, there's there's no having to deal with travel. None of that. It's pure basketball. And pure basketball at its finest is a team sport. It, it, it's a team game. And the best team wins. And I think that's what you're seeing in these playoffs more than playoffs in the past where it's come down more to the individuals and you're seeing a more quality brand of basketball in my opinion 
in that it's emphasizing the team game. And that's why you're seeing the Celtics and the Heat in the East. Because, you know, teams like the Bucks are built around an individual, not necessarily a team. Teams like the Clippers in the West were built around two individuals. And it was quite evident that they did not come together as a team. They were not one unit out there on the court. And when the things got tough, you saw that fracture. You, you saw the cracks in the armor. The Nuggets are a better team than the Lakers. And I'm using that word very specifically. The, the LeBron James it will be the best player on the court. And I don't think you can really make an argument otherwise. You can make an argument between Anthony Davis and Jokic, who's going to be the second best player on the court. I say it's going to be Jokic, but I can understand an argument for Anthony Davis. But as far as who the best player is, it's going to be LeBron. But the best team, the, the best unit, is going to be the Denver Nuggets. And that's why I'm going to pick them to win this series in seven. I hope you are as excited as I am for this series to get tipped off tonight. For the Nuggets to be in the conference finals, it is insane. And I, the excitement is just vibrating. Thank you for coming and listening to What Sports. I'm Mike Jones. I've been your host throughout this. Uh, don't forget to leave a comment, a like, give a follow. Uh, it's obviously it's on Podbean. You can also follow it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Let your friends know. More people listen, the better it is. The more I'm going to be able to do here. And you can also give me a follow on Instagram, Twitter at AK Coach Jones. Thanks for coming on this ride for me, and I hope you guys have fun tonight.